0: This is Nova Church, Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. If you have a Bible today, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see it on the screen behind me. Uh, I like bringing my Bible to church. I would encourage you to get yourself a Bible. There's something about the Bible that changes your life. We are a church that believes in the Bible. We celebrate the Bible. We like our Bibles, and we cannot lie. Uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to start reading in verse 8. It says this. It says, If we claim we have no sin, we're not only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth, but if we confess our sins to Him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Chapter 2, we're going to continue on. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is, Christ, he is Jesus Christ, the one who is highly righteous. Truly righteous, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but for the sins of the world. That we can be sure that if we know him, and we obey his commandments, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar. I love the Bible, how blunt it is. It's a liar, and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Love and obey, there is no other way. It's only love if you obey. Otherwise, it's just emotion. Love is not an emotion, it's an action. Uh, Those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Today, this morning, I want to talk on this topic. I want to challenge us as a church. I believe it's a key word for our church and for those of us in our faith as we are growing. Our church is growing. If you look around, we're growing. Uh, We're having conversations about going to two services, fairly certain in the near future. Uh, God is doing something. And so many people are making commitments of faith. Uh, We're building a church for those far from God. That want to become close to God. I know there's parts of my life where I'm far from God. God has me on a journey. So if you feel like you're far from God, so is the preacher. And me and my wife as pastors. It's part of our lives where we're getting closer to God. Forgiveness is an event, but purity is a process, and God is helping us. But as we're on this journey, I want to talk on this topic, which I believe is important for us and our faith, no matter what stage you're at. But of our church, in this title, These Are My Confessions. Look at your neighbor and say, These Okay, okay, I'm gonna try this again. Say, these are my confessions. (laughs) How many just felt like Usher right there? Not the kind, not the kind that are in church ha- passing offering buckets. Come on. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've probably been in church a long time. But these are my confessions. i got a sermon on the way. These are my confessions. All right. Do you have family traditions that you grew up having? Anybody? I'm not going to ask you what they are, but how many know, like, my family, we have certain traditions. We have a tradition in my family uh, that that me and Nancy started when we had kids is that our kids always skip the last day of school. That's a great tradition right there. We are horrible parents. We are awesome parents. But they have their last day of school, but how many of us you know, not the teachers in the room? You know, it's not the real last day of school. You got to go back for report cards. We always skip that day, and they mail us. We give them an envelope with a stamp, and they mail it. Why? Because the last day of classes, when they come out of school, we have the car already packed, and with vacation mode, and we leave right from school, and we go right on vacation somewhere like Prince Edward Island or somewhere. And our kids are like, summer has started. You've been paroled and early released from school. Jump in the car. It's like that Ikea commercial. Start the car. Start the car. The kids run for the They dive in, and there's snacks, and there's their iPads, and we are just gone on a road trip. That's one of our traditions. Another tradition we had in my family growing up, and it's the same now as I've been married now 20 years in May, is that the kitchen table is a tradition in our home. It's a tradition to make it a priority that we eat dinner together. Now, it might be pizza or it might be home cooked, but we sit at the table. It might be nice plates or it might be paper plates or no plates, but we sit at the kitchen table. And we make it a priority in schedule. We also make sure there's no devices at the table. When I was growing up, my dad used to bring the black and white TV out into the kitchen with the rabbit ears. I mean, black and white TVs were these TVs before we had color. And, and, and my mom would be like, Gary, not at the kitchen table. He'd want to watch uh, Steve uh, Murphy on the news or, or David, whoever, right before, somebody before that, and watch the news. And he'd say, Gary, no, not at the table. And we had no technology at the table. And we always made a priority in time but also in focus. And even now, as a, as a family, we make sure that we spend our dinner time asking questions about each other's day. The kids will ask me, Dad, how was your day? I'm like, oh, day was good. And they know it's not one word answers. You got to give details. And we'll ask questions like, what was the most challenging part of your day? What was the best part of your day? And Uh, how's everything going with this, then we do follow-up questions, and we just spend the time connecting, and then Maddie says something inappropriate, and then Josh laughs, and then we dismiss them, and me and Nancy eat by ourselves, But, um, but kitchen table is a tradition. Another tradition I had in my family growing up is that all firstborn sons have their father's name as their middle name. I think this is pretty cool. So my grandfather's name was Roy, and his middle name was his father's name, and my father Gary was his, his middle name is his father's name, so Gary Roy. My middle name is my father's name is Michael Gary. And so when Josh was born on in April two thousand and four, right two thousand and four April tenth, awesome. Look at me. When he was born, they said, "What are you gonna call him?" I'm like Joshua, Michael, Miller. And uh, when my father came into the hospital, he's like, "What did you guys name him?" Like Joshua. Miller. What's his middle name? I'm like, what do you mean? What's his middle name? It's 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 Michael. That's our family tradition. He goes, oh, that's not a tradition. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, your my middle name is Gary, which is your name. Your middle name is Roy, which is your father's name. His middle name is his father's. He goes, oh, that's just a coincidence. That's not a tradition. I'm like, what? So guess what? It's now a tradition. Joshua, Michael Miller. When you have a son, your firstborn son, his middle name will be Joshua, and uh, it's now a family tradition. Here's what I've realized in our faith is that we have some traditions that, uh, are, that we maintain, and others have an expiry date. Some things were never meant to be carried on through generations. Some are meant to stay around and are important, and others have an expiry date. In our faith, there are some things that we do that are trends. They're not supposed to be biblical traditions or trends. Trends don't last. You notice that the last three letters of trend is end? Why? Because it doesn't last. They, they, they don't last. The church has some traditions. Some of those, for example, is dress codes. Have you realized that yet? Like how we dressed in the '80s, and some of you are like, "I wish we'd go back there." But I remember wearing a—I remember wearing a suit and tie to church every single Sunday. We've been delivered, praise the Lord. The ties that bind, Amen. But but I remember I, I had my TD Jake suit on every Sunday. I Man, I made it look good. I had the big pants, and we had the skinny pants, and, But I had a suit. But how many know dress codes change? Have you realized that yet? If you dressed like you did in high school and went now, people would look at you a little different, right? And they come back around again, and and trends change. I want to let you know as a church, that who knows? If culture changes, we may be wearing suits in 15 years. Why? Because we're trying to dress in a way that the people walk in here that are far from God feel comfortable as possible. It's on our website. What do you wear to church? Because people want to know. People check out our website. It says, whatever you'd wear for coffee, wear that to church. Now, some people wear their jammies. We don't recommend that. Have you, I'm talking to you, Tim Hortons people, and you know who you are. But, but, but we just, some things are, are, are trends that end. Uh, service length. I grew up in church. Come on. Church now is about an hour and 15 minutes. Some of you are wondering how long today is going to go. I grew up in a church where it was four hours long. Where are my people? Where are my Pentecostals that grew up in four hours? You needed a snack and a nap to get through church. My mother had sandwiches and mints and Kit Kat bars, and, and she had adrenaline shots like to get through church, right? And then just when you were going to sleep, a Jericho march would happen. I'm telling you, it'd wake you up. But I grew up in church four hours, and then you'd go home for two hours and go back again that night. <laughs> oh, thank God some things uh, change. Music changes. Music changes. We had our seniors lunch, and I put on some Gaither music and some Brooklyn Tabernacle. I'm like, turn that down. We're trying to talk. I'm like, I tried to play their music, but they're into the new music. My mother has Hillsong playing Young and Free every time I get in the car. Right? But music changes. Did you know that there was a time that there was no trumpets or any uh, loud instruments in church? And there's actually a man named William Booth who started the Salvation Army in England. He said, what are they playing in the pubs? Why should the pubs have all the good music? We believe God deserves the best. We want to connect with people. He said, let's go get the music from the pubs, put holy words to it. And that's where the brass bands came out of. Now, some of you want to go back to the good old days, but that music came from the pubs. What we're excited about is we're writing music as a church. and We believe we'll even see albums released in the next uh, year or two as a church. But musics have trends. Music, what we sang 10 years ago, Shout to the Lord. Come on, somebody. Anybody remember Shout to the Lord? Darlene, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Anybody remember that song? And then songs we sang two years ago, we switch it up. Why? Because songs are trends. There's small church, there's big church, there's multi-site, there's one site, there's lots of people, there's uh, small groups, there's different trends. But there's other things in the church that are meant to be pillars because of their power. And they're not supposed to fade away. One is communion. Maybe you call it the Eucharist, or you call it the body of Christ, or I'm not sure what you call it, but, but, we, but communion, when we partake of, of, of the juice and the bread and we remember the sacrifice, that is something that is a tradition that has power in our faith. We do it four or five times a year here at Nova. We'll do it again on Christmas and Christmas, uh, the Sunday before Christmas in the morning, we'll have communion together. That's something we don't want to leave behind. There's power in that tradition. Another one is baptism. We do baptism here at Nova. I absolutely love baptisms at Nova. and We get people in these tanks and we dunk them and it's a tradition of saying, I want to publicly declare what God's done in my life. We've had dozens and dozens and dozens of people get baptized. That's a tradition we must hang on to. Here's another one I want to challenge you with today as I unpack this as... As people of faith, and I don't know if I've ever preached on this, and I don't know if I've ever heard this uh, in church, but it's the power of confession. Confession. What comes to mind when you hear the word confession? Some of you, it's, it's judicial system. It's courts and trials where someone's interrogated. Maybe they're the President of the United States and they get interrogated and, and uh, until they confess something. And it's under the bright lights going, hey, you need to confess your, 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 your mistake, your crime. And they're interrogated and they're put on trial until they get a confession. Some of you, maybe it's a church cell you grew up in where you picture a box that you go in in this closet. You go in with a veil between you and another person and you say your confessions to a person to ease your conscience. I don't know what you think of when you hear the word confession. I want to tell you that confession is a vital pillar in your walk with Jesus Christ. I want to unpack some scripture today that maybe might remind you or, or help your thoughts today, because I believe some of us are struggling in some areas, and I think confession is the key. I think some of us have walked away from something. Uh, we've thrown the baby with the bathwater out. I believe that the power of confession is shown to be a part of our walk, and there's power in this tradition. That as we are a church that's reaching people far from God, we're a church that is modern. We're a church that we believe we want to speak the language of today. We cannot leave behind some of the pillars of our faith that is true. For example, the blood of Jesus still saves. That the Holy Spirit still helps us. That there is power in confession. What does the Bible say about confession? Jesus thought it was important for the disciples. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, he's teaching the disciples how to pray. And he's like, listen, you need to pray just to make it today. That's an MC Hammer song, if you don't know. Just to pray, too legit to quit. But he says, you got to pray every day. He's teaching them how to pray. It's not just come to church and get, you need to pray. You need to talk. I'm dying and being risen from the dead so you can have a relationship with the Father. So you need to talk to him every day. He says, this is how you pray. He says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day the food we need. Verse 12, and forgive us our sins. He said, when you pray daily to the Father, confess your sins. My disciples, my closest people, the ones who are gonna build this church and launch the church, you need to go daily and ask God for what you need, but you also need to confess your sins. There is power in confession. What true confession isn't, depending on how you grew up and what you believe. Let me tell you what true confession is not. It's telling God something he doesn't know. Some of us are afraid to confess. We think God's going to think less of us. Like, well, if I I say it, he's going to know. That's not the way God works. Confession is not telling God something he doesn't know. Trust me, he's seen your Facebook. He knows. He knows the pictures you've been tagged in. He knows. Adam and Eve in Genesis, they're created in this perfect state and God made them and he put them in the garden and said, hey, I love you. You have freedom. You have authority. But there are some parameters and boundaries to obey me. And one of these was they couldn't eat from a certain tree. You know the story. Eve uh, uh, ate first and gave it to her husband. And I don't, I'm not going to crack any jokes on that today. But, but, uh, but they, they sinned and they did the opposite of what God wanted. And it says they hid from God. Now, right there, that proves to me that Adam and Eve were not the smartest people in the world. And I feel so much in common with them, right? They hid from God, right? They hid behind like leaves and like foliage and heads of, that's where the hedge of protection came from, I think. They were hiding from, behind shrubbery from God. God comes on the scene. He's walking through the garden and he says, Adam and Eve, where are you? How many of them God has asked the question? He already knows the answer. But he wants you to ask the question. He says, where are you? And they had to come to the revelation. We are far from you. We are removed from you. We are disconnected. But God knew where they were. It's like my son Josh, when, we were, when he was growing up, we'd play hide-and-go-seek. and I remember we were in a basement apartment, and you've you got to be talented to play hide-and-go-seek in a two-bedroom basement apartment. And I remember he was so young, he thought if he covered his eyes, he was hiding. So he'd go over in the corner, and we weren't sure if he was pooping or hiding, but he'd go over in the corner, he'd just kind of stand there, and then he'd cover his eyes. i would like, where's Josh? Oh, where is he? He'd be giggling, looking through his hands. And we thought, as long as I can't see Dad, he can't see me. Some of us feel that way with God. We think if I, if I just don't tell God, if I just don't admit this, if I, if, if I don't say anything, he won't know. Confession is not telling God something he doesn't know. He knows your best and your worst, and he's still passionately crazy about you. That's what's amazing about God. Before you say it, he knows, and he's still in love with you. What else is confession not? It's not blaming others. You ever have someone say sorry for something, but they blame you when they're saying sorry? Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Have you heard of that? Don't say sorry if you're going to say sorry, not sorry. Yeah, sorry, I made fun of you. Sorry, not sorry. I'm, I'm confused right now, all right? Some people just say, I'm just joking. There's a lot of truth right before that statement, just joking, right? Yeah, 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 you shouldn't have got that promotion. I was up for it. I, should have, I deserve that more than, just joking. I, mean, I think you meant what you just said. <laughs> but you know what confession's not? It's not blaming others, it's not saying god I'm this way because of my upbringing. I'm not I'm this way because of my friends. If if you knew my parents, god, that's why I'm like this because my parents gave me this or didn't give me this. My parents acted like this or they didn't act like this. I'm who I am today, god, because of my parents or the neighborhood I grew up in or the lack of economics I had or because of uh, of my DNA. God, I'm just it's not that. It's not blaming others. What else is confession not? It's not complaining inventing. Confession is not, I've disobeyed because life is really hard right now, God. Like life's, life's really hard and like work's stressful and you know there's a lot going on and I just needed a break, I just needed a vice. I just needed somewhere to escape to and I just need to take the edge off. So I, just, I did this and this and this, which I know is wrong and hurtful to people and to you, but God, life is tough. Confessing is not venting. It's not complaining. So what is confession today? And I believe this is important for all of us as believers. It's coming clean with God. Coming clean with God. Saying, God, I just need you to know, this isn't right, what I've done. It's not what I've thought. I just need to come clean with you. It's understanding who God is and how much he loves you. It's also owning and understanding grace. Grace isn't a pass on behavior. Grace is forgiveness and power. So so many times church gets this wrong. They think grace, the term we call it in church circles is sloppy grace. They think grace is like that hall pass that just gets you out of everything. It's that park wherever you want pass that that you sit there going, you know, I can park wherever I want. I have this special pass. I'm a VIP. So I can be in the mud and the dirt. I can park in the wrong spots. I can be in the way. But as long as I got this pass, I'm good. People think grace, sometimes I can live what I want do what I want, say what I want, act like I want. Grace covers me. God forgave me for my sin. That's not grace. If you think that's grace, that's the opposite of grace. Grace is not a pass on your sin. It's empowering you to live holy. I heard someone say this. Grace is not permission to live in the ditch in the mud. Grace is the power to get out of the mud. It's the four-wheel drive on your life. When you invoke grace on your life, God forgives you for where you are, but gives you the power to get to where you need to be. Grace is not, I can send what I want and say, God, thank you for forgiving me. And grace empowers you to live holy. If you have a a small theology on grace, you'll have a small confession. But if you have a big theology on grace, your confession will be big. Wait, why? Because when you confess, you're saying, God, I need your power. God, I confess this, not just to clear my conscience, but to say I need your power to act differently in my marriage, in my singleness, in my workplace, with my money and my body and my thoughts. God, forgive me and empower me because I'm not where I need to be. But God, I don't want to be where I was and help me get to where you've called me to be. That is grace. Grace is not just permission, it's power to live holy. I'm so thankful for the grace of God that forgives me for where I am, but says, no, no, I got a better way. Let me help you get where you belong. That is grace. Small grace equals small confession. I think as a church, we have to have some big confessions. I want to remind you of this as I've been studying this, is unconfessed sin has power over you. In Psalm chapter 32, David this man of God, he was God's chosen, he loved God. The Bible says he had a heart after God like no one else. He loved God. Love wasn't the problem. Somewhere, he started disobeying. It started with this. It says it was a time of year when kings went off to war. I think it's in 1 Samuel 30, I'm not sure, but it, he, as king, you're supposed to go fight. He says, no, I'm just gonna sit this one out. Everybody else go. And he went back and sat on a balcony, and his first disobedience was not living up to the responsibility on his life. As he walked, he said, no, I'm going to take a break. Sometimes sin is not doing the wrong thing. Sometimes it's not doing the right thing. From there, he sat on this balcony, and all of a sudden he saw this woman named Bathsheba bathing on the roof. Now, sisters, help a brother out. If you're going to take a bath, pull the blind. Come on, somebody. He had this bath on, uh, she had this bath on the roof, and he could see from the palace, and, uh, and lust overtake him. He, he sent for one of his advisors to go get her. Brought her to the palace. The Bible, read your Bible, says he slept with her. She got pregnant. He finds out she got pregnant. He's like, okay, go get her husband from the battlefield. Get him to come back. Get him to be home for uh, like a week so that they, that, that they will have marital relations so that when she's pregnant, it's not a surprise going, wait a minute, I was away at war. Let's do the math. Go, no, no, I was home. That must have been when it happened. When he refused to go into his house, going, no, no, I'm a man of war. How can I come home and relax when my brothers are fighting? I cannot do this. He refused to go in with his wife David's like, i got to fix this. You ever try to fix a problem with more problems? It never works. You ever try to cover a lie with lies? You start digging this hole. He says, okay, we're going to have to kill him. And he sends him to the front lines to be killed, and there he's, he's murdered. So now David started with being in the wrong place at the wrong time, not doing the right thing, and then he finds himself with this child being born out of adultery. He finds himself now a murderer, and it says David here in verse 32 of Psalm, verse 3, when I refuse, this is David now. This is, came out of this story in his life, this time in his life. David's now in anguish, unconfessed sin. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. I think sometimes we're blaming the enemy for power that we've given sin in our lives. Unconfessed sin affects your body. David's like, because I've unconfessed this, because I haven't brought this, my my, my strength is wasting away. I want to be very clear. Not all sickness, not all health problems is sin. It's not. It's not at all. I'm not saying if you're sick today, you have unconfessed sin. I'm not saying that at all. It rains on the just and the unjust. In the Bible it says, whose fault is this sickness on this life? It's like it's no one's fault. It's not his parents, it's not his. You can be unhealthy. So you can, I have things in my body, I need healing. It can be sick and have illness. Nothing to do with, with, with your sin. Nothing to do with unconfessed sin. We live in a fallen world. and This is what we're living with. But I do believe there are some things in our lives we give power to, our, to this sin in our lives because it's unconfessed. In James 5.15 it says it again. It says in James 5.15 Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. If you have committed any sins and you confess, it will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I think there's power when you confess your sins. It can actually affect your body health. I heard this story years ago about a man in Spryfield who found a bullet in his head. Anybody remember this story? If you don't know, if you're new to the area, Spryfield, this does not surprise anybody that knows anything about Spryfield. It's a lot like Sackville, where I grew up. I was born in Spryfield and grew up in Sackville. It's a different level, it's like one big Dartmouth. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Spryfield, they're just made a little different in Spryfield. And this guy in Spryfield was shot. He didn't know when he was shot, and years later, as he went to the doctor for a headache, they found a bullet in the back of his head that he never knew was there. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be aware of if I was around gunfire. But in Spryfield, that's just, that's just the anthem of Spryfield. Just side kill Spryfield. Come on, somebody. There's a story of this man. There's, we had this x-ray I want to put up in Germany in 2010. And do we have that, have that x-ray? didn't put that up i had this x-ray i was looking online it shows this guy's skull and on the back of the head there's this little bullet in the back of his head and the doctors of 2010 he went in for what he thought was a cyst in his head and they said there's a bullet in your head when they trace it back five years earlier in 2005 he was at a new year's eve party and they're shooting guns in the air and a bullet must have come down and went into his head and he wondered what this cyst was for years thinking he was going to have it removed they found a bullet If that's not a picture sometimes of unconfessed sin in our life, sin does not belong in your body. And when a foreign object is in your body, your body will start to, in fact, trying to repel it. I want to remind you today that sin does not belong in our body. And sometimes we have things in our life, we wonder why things are going away, relationships, the peace that we have. Sometimes the Bible even says physical health. Could it be there's something festering of unforgiveness bitterness. Maybe it's something you've done or said, and God says, come to me and confess it so you can have health in your body. I believe this is a pillar in the church. Unconfessed sin can cause pain spiritually and physically. I was recently traveling for speaking, and another speaker that travels a lot, we sat down one night. He said, Mike, have you ever thought about why all these men and women fall morally, why there's so much stuff going on in, in, in teachers. And he said, I have this theory. We started unpacking it and I started studying on it. He said, I think we've ignored the power of early confession. See, I grew up in a church similar to this where we didn't talk about confession. It was never a booth with a man behind a veil. In fact, we kind of ran from that and we we're kind of like, no, no, that's, that's religion, but there is some truth in early confession. That sometimes we, we put things off going, no, that's just a habit or that's just a weakness or that's just a bad week and we let it fester and build and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a place being taken by our sin spiritually and I think we've walked away as a church from the power of early confession. Short prayers work when you live close to the throne of God. Just short prayers. God forgive me. The power of early confession. David now he is, he's going through this and, and God's speaking to him and challenging him. And we pick it up here in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, David now, after realizing he had sinned, he says, God, I've got to get some confession in my life out. And it says in Psalm 139 in verse 23 and 24, watch this, David now changes tune. He said, like, I need the power of confession in my life. He prays this prayer. The same guy that had an affair, murdered, the same guy that uh, this tragedy is on his life, all of a sudden he realizes, no, 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 there's power in confession. This is his confession. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Confession. So why should we confess now if we're saved? I thought we gave our lives to Christ. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Some of you are going to have an opportunity to do that in a moment. We say, God, forgive me, and we confess our sins. Aren't we good then? We're saved. We're no longer in sin. We're now restored with Jesus. We're now one with Him. What's our role of confession as Christians? Here's what we need to know in First John, chapter one. First John, chapter one, chapter two, verse one. It says, my dear children, talking to us, we're children of God. We're in this faith. Christians in this place. It says, I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. I love that. He's saying, don't sin. But if you do sin, know that we have someone that helps us reconnect with the Father. Here's what you need to know today. We are no longer sinners. We're no longer sinners. The Bible says that when we gave our life to Christ, we moved from being sinners to saints. Some of you are fighting this guilt of your past life. When you give it to Jesus, you move from being a sinner far from God to a saint close to God. But here's what the Bible says. But as saints, we still sin. My friend, you're not a sinner today. You're a sinning saint, and so am I. It's a difference. I'm not a sinner far from God. I'm a saint close to God. I'm one of his children. I have relationship. But as a saint, I still sin. I'm a sinning saint. And the Bible says, when you saints, brothers, sisters, children of God, when we sin, confess your sins so that God can restore you. When we confess, what are we doing? We're fighting for our connection with God. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You can't earn your salvation, but you can protect it. And when we confess, I believe that we fight for connection. Going, God, I don't deserve the relationship we have. You gave it to me. You restored me. You healed me. You blessed me. You, you brought me close. And I don't want anything to get between me and you. So when I make that choice, I say that thing, I have that thought, I do that moment when I know that, that that repels me from God, that is a foreign object in my spirit. When I confess, what I'm saying is, no, no, nothing separates me. God, I want to be close to you. Confession fights for your connection. It reconnects intimacy. As the worship team comes back and we're getting ready to close, there's this story in the Bible of a guy called the prodigal son. If you know your Bible, he was, there was two sons and this father was well off and the father loved his sons. They were sons. They had the relationship of sons. They had everything. They weren't foreign. They were sons. But one son said, I want to do it my way. His theme was thanks to Frank Sinatra. I'm going to do it my way. So I'm just going to go and do my own thing. I want my inheritance. I'm going to spend my money. Please don't miss this. In verse 15, he messed up of Luke. of Luke, 15. He, Luke chapter 15, he messed up. He was living a life different than the culture that he was born into. He was not living the way his father wanted him to live. In verse 17, you'll see behind me on the screen, he became aware of his sin. He came to his senses and goes, I am far from my father. I'm not living right. He became aware of his sin. In verse 18, he starts practicing his confession, realizing he has separated his relationship. He's not close like he should. He's like, I'm gonna go back to my father and say, listen, I know I've done wrong against your God and you. I know I'm not living right, but if you'll just make me a servant, then I'll have food and I'll just serve you. I'm not worthy of your love. And he starts practicing his confession. In verse 20, he approaches his father. He's traveling home and he starts, his father runs to him and he starts practicing his confession. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. And before he can get the words out, in verse 22, his father interrupts him with grace. What is grace? It's forgiveness and power. He won't even let him get through the confessions. Forget all that. Put a ring on his finger, which is power. It gives you access. If you had a ring in that culture, that was like having the visa card. That's like having the special key. If you had the ring, you spoke for the father. You could go where the father went. You could do anything with the possessions. In that moment, the father rushes to him and says, no, no, I forgive you and I empower you. You're not a servant, you're not a far off, you're a son. That is a picture of confession. He never stopped being a son. He was just disconnected. See, sin doesn't separate me right now from God. I'm I'm not, okay, I I was a son of God and now I'm I'm far from God. No, no, nothing can separate my relationship. But things can disconnect. And confession reconnects us with God. We confess not to establish relationship, we confess to restore it. Confession, it's not what are we, God, it's how are we God. See, when I confess, I'm not saying, I know I've blown it again with that attitude. I shouldn't have done that, watched that, said that, shouldn't have done that. God, what are we? Are we are we are we are we, are we father and son? Are we family? What are we? Am I am I far from you again? No, no. Confession isn't God, what are we? Confession is God, how are we? You start to examine your life like David did, go examine my heart, all of a sudden you're like, oh, right. I shouldn't have said that. Why did I think that jealousy towards that? I shouldn't have given my thoughts and my, God, that doesn't belong. That's foreign. And God goes, it's removed. Let me help you live right. Let me help you speak right. Let me help you be better. You can't earn this. I love you as you are, but let's fight for the connection. Confession fights for connection. Do you feel distant from God today? Know as a saint that you sin. But we run to the Father, not from him. So how do we confess? We don't need to go to a box with a pastor or a priest. Jesus became our priest. That's why you can confess right now in your seat in your car, in the shower. Why? Because you have a direct access to God. He became the bridge for our confession. So how do you confess? Let me read Psalm 139 again in the message version. Verses 23 and 24. This was David's prayer. This is my prayer today. And it's your prayer today. Investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road. To eternal life we have someone to confess to church may we be a church that's quick to confess the second something this week as you go through this week and you you react to a boss or an employee maybe your spouse or in your singleness maybe you do something that wants to separate you. you go no no I have a relationship with God it's not what are we It's God. how are we And I want to be close to your presence I believe even as we confess I believe there may be even healings in this room maybe even spiritually physically Again, not all those things are because of unconfessed. But what if there's some things in our life that shouldn't be there and we need to confess that God forgive me for that attitude, for that action, for that thought, for those words. And watch what will happen as we pray and confess. A miracle happens. We come close to God. All over this place, can we stand to our feet as we close? The worship team's gonna lead us in a song. Here's what I want you to do right now. We're gonna sing this song, but I want you to say this. Whisper it. Maybe you wanna say it. Say, God, how are we today? If you ask him that question, he's going to tell you where you are. And if something is separated, you simply go, God, forgive me. Jesus, forgive me. And you watch the grace, forgiveness, and power of God rush onto your life. A peace will fill your life. All over this place, with no one moving around. As we sing this song, you say, God, how are we today? And when he shows you, say, God, I give that back to you, and a miracle will happen. Come on, let's worship together.